Amen. I hope your hope is in the Lord this morning. Let's all stand together, turn your Bibles to Hosea chapter number 3. Hosea chapter 3. It's good to see everybody today and look and see Brother Robert here. Brother Robert Mata said he had two heart procedures this week. Got put out twice and he's here on a Sunday morning. So next time anybody misses church, I'm going to remind you that Brother Robert was here after two heart procedures. We have no excuses. Let's all stand as we look here in the Word of God this morning, Hosea chapter 3. It says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for an omer of barley, and an half homer of barley, and I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. Today we're preaching here on the thought, love undeserved. Love undeserved. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. God, the privilege that it is to be in church together this morning. God, I pray that you'd be with me as I preach. Help me to preach your word clearly. Lord, I pray that it'd be a help and an encouragement. God, as we are reminded of your undeserving love, your undying love, or that will never be taken from us. Lord, bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I read a joke this week about two friends named Bill and Steve. And they were discussing the subject of love as we were looking at here today. And, and Bill looked at Steve and he said, you know what, I thought I was in love three different times. And Steve asked, what do, you, what do you mean? Tell me about it. And then Bill said, well, three years ago, I... I cared very deeply for a woman, but she wanted nothing to do with me. And Steve said, wasn't that love? And he says, no, that was obsession. He says, but then two years ago, a year later, I cared deeply for a very attractive woman, and she wanted to spend time with me, but she didn't understand me. We didn't get along very well. And Steve said, wasn't that love? And he says, no, that was lust. And just last year, I met a woman while on a cruise. And while I was there on the cruise, she was beautiful. She was intelligent. We had great conversations. She had a great sense of humor, and everywhere I followed her on that ship, I had a great sensation in the pit of my stomach, and Steve goes, well, that sounds like love to me, and he goes, well, I thought it was, but it was motion sickness. You know, love can be a little confusing, can it? But as we look in the Word of God, and as we hold it in our hands today, there's a love this morning perfectly spelled out for us in the Bible. John chapter 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As we look at the love of God, and if we just had that one verse, that fact, that thought this morning, should stir our hearts so much as we remind ourselves that God truly loves us like no other person could. You know, the songwriter wrote, Could we with ink the oceans fill? Or were the skies of parchment made, and every stalk on earth a quill, and every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That songwriter was right, wasn't he? He says you could gather every able-bodied person in this world, you could gather every writing instrument, you could grab, grab every single piece of material you could write on, and still not adequately describe the love of God. As we look at this portion of Scripture and God's relationship with the children of Israel, we see while Israel often strayed away, God's greatest desire 
as it was here, was to reconcile his people back to himself. And God used the prophet Hosea to illustrate his love and have a desire and to show his desire to have his people restored. And as we look at this book, and I'm hoping one day to preach a series out of this book, then the name Hosea means salvation. And this book literally is a message of salvation to a spiritually bankrupt people. As we look at, the, at Israel in their history at this point, they were very prosperous. It was a time of peace. It was a time of peace militarily and, 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 and politically. They, they were prosperous, but spiritually, they were in famine. And we look in verse 1 of our text as God is using the, the wife of Hosea to describe the children of Israel. He, he speaks of them as being ones that were looking to other gods, the Canaanite god Baal. And if we know anything about the, the Canaanites and their gods and the worship of Baal, it was they looked to the consort Ashtoreth, which just involved vile acts, very wicked things took place in those temples. In Israel, as they turned from their one true God to this false God, and they began to partake in some of the practices, they were in great spiritual evil. And the children of Israel, even though they would claim God, they at this time had no real love for God. They had no desire to truly worship their God and to be looking to him and him alone. But when a prophet would come to them and show up with a message from God, they were very interested in what he had to say and his actions. And so God, as he did here in this book, and as he often did it in scripture, would often use the personal lives of these prophets to demonstrate or illustrate his relationship with the children of Israel, and that's the case that we find here this morning. Now, God uses Hosea and his wife Gomer as a picture of his relationship with Israel. And as we look at this family and we look at this relationship, God was going to reveal his love for his people. But I believe with all my heart today, this isn't just for the children of Israel. The word of God, as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, was given for, for our profit, for our correction, for our, our instruction. And as we look here, it's not just revealing God's love for the children of Israel. It's also a portrait to us this morning of the love that we have in Jesus. And as we begin this morning, I want to point out three things to you about God's love. First of all, that the love of God, God's love, is a seeking love. To understand Hosea's love for his wife, we need to understand, first of all, something about his wife, Gomer. We can look in the very beginning of this book, and we would find in verse 2 that she's called a wife of whoredoms and the children of whoredoms. She was an Israelite, but she was part of the corruption of Israel. She was repeatedly guilty of the sin of looking to the other gods. She was perhaps an idolatrous. She was doing things, thinking it to be in honor of her false god she was looking to. But as she was here in this point of her life, she was a product of her society. She had been raised in idolatry. She had been influenced in an area of rebellion against the one true God. And at first, as Hosea took his wife Gomer to be his wife, they must have some, it must have been a happy time for them. We, we can look here and in, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, they had a son named Jezreel. By the time we get to our text, Gomer is called an adulteress. We can look at chapter 2, verse 5. It says, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Gomer was living a wicked life. She committed adultery while she was with Hosea and she left him 
for another man. She was guilty of violating the marriage vows they had before God. She betrayed him. And eventually she abandoned not just her husband but her children to pursue her lusts. It's a terrible thing that happens to this prophet. But God allowed this to happen to Hosea as a picture of the spiritual condition of the children of Israel. They lusted after the God of the Canaanites. They abandoned the gods of their fathers. And she's also a picture of a lost sinner. I also believe it can illustrate not just a lost sinner, but it can illustrate the Christian who has gotten away from God. You understand this morning, sin is a universal problem. We spent several months as a church in the the book of Romans. If you would, go ahead and look at Romans chapter 3. You can, ask, you can ask our church for several months. We were reminded every Sunday night that we were in the book of Romans, that we were sinners. There's nothing we can do on our own to be found righteous in the eyes of God. If you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 9, it says, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Every race, every religion, every gender, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, how much time you've spent in church, how how much of the Bible you've read, what what side of town you live on, whether you're from Midland or Odessa, even though some people may tend to think that they're better than others. I've, I've heard, I don't believe that, but I've heard some people say they don't like the other, okay? No man has the ability to produce righteousness. You know, the Bible tells us that the best that any of us can produce is as filthy rags. The best that you could do, the best that I could do, is never enough. The sinful nature of man will always manifest itself in his life. You know, we could go from city to city, we could go from place to place, and we could find some good people, couldn't we? We could go around, we could find some bad people. We could find some people that you would think have never hurt anyone's feelings, have never sinned against anybody, never lied, never cheated, never still. But as good as we could find people, we will never find a perfect person. The Bible says there is none righteous. And as we continue this text there in verse 11, sin, as it's in every one of our lives, dulls the minds of the sinner to the truth of God. Look there in verse 11. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Verse 12 tells us it has dirtied our vessels. It says they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Look at verse 13. It affects not just our life, our actions. It affects our speech. Verse 13 says their throat is an open sepulcher. With the tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. What about our actions? Verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. We want peace in this world, don't we? But sin keeps us from being able to have peace. Because sinners want their own way, don't they? Just spend some time in the nursery or in a, or in a junior church class, we'll see that, little, that sinners want their own way. Look at verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It affects your ability to see God as he truly is. 
Sin is powerful. Sin ruins lives. And we get back to our text here in Hosea. We see that as Gomer left her husband and she went for her new lover, this man is done with her and has put her up for sale. What a picture of what sin does to every life it touches. A lifestyle of unrepentant sin may bring pleasure. The Bible says it it brings pleasure before a season. The Bible says we don't get away with sin. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. As sin comes into the life, not just of those that are unsaved, as sin is part of the life of a Christian, it destroys homes, destroys relationships, it destroys our our ability to, to witness or to do anything for God, it ruins friendships, it hurts children. It loses careers, it disqualifies from positions or opportunities, and it leaves the sinner wanting more, doesn't it? I'm standing here this morning telling you something you already know. The consequences of sin are deadly. It can ruin you. Even when things seem okay, things can change in just a moment by one choice, can they? Gomer and her life was wrecked, was ruined by sin. We see her life, we see her decisions, and then we see her husband's love. Put yourself in Hosea's position here. In spite of how she hurt him, in spite of how she treated her own children and abandoning them, In spite of the decisions she made day after day in her life and all the things she did while she was away from him, Hosea still chose to love her. He's told there in verse 1 by God, it says, go yet love a woman. God tells him, he says, go find her and show her again how much you love her. The Bible then says, he says, go love the woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. He says, Hosea, I want you to go love this woman who is guilty of adultery and who still loves another man. She doesn't even love you back. And as Hosea receives this command from God, he he doesn't hesitate. We find him there in verse 2, immediately going, and he went after her because he loved her. Hosea loved her before she fell into sin. He loved her before she left him, and he still loved her in spite of everything that she had done against him at this point in his life. And his love is so great, he is willing to do whatever it takes to get her back. Did you know today, and I love this truth, no one had to tell God to love you. God loved you before you were born. He loved you as you were an innocent child. He loved you when you chose sin over righteousness. He loves you today. He has always loved you. And the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, he says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. It never stops. It's always been. And nothing can can keep God from pursuing you until he's brought you back to himself. If we were to look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we're not going to go there for time's sake, but it speaks of God's love being a great love. You know that verse? That word great there, and describing that love, calls it a surpassing love. It goes beyond anything we could comprehend or anything anybody else could ever do for you. It has no boundaries. It's 
unconditional. It's timeless. It's self-sacrificing. It is wonderful beyond words, something we can't even describe. And God does not love us because we're lovely, does he? He loves us because he is love. God doesn't love man because man is lovely or lovable. He loves man because God is love. No matter how your relationships are in this life, no matter who you think loves you and who you think doesn't, God loves you. And his love never ends. And as we go through life, we make decisions, and we may, we may refuse his love, but he will still continue to love us. We may not have time for him as we should in our life, but he will continue to love us. We may not listen to him. We may ignore him, but his heart is still set on us. We may turn our ear away as his still small voice speaks to us, but he does not stop calling us to come to him. He loves you this morning regardless of who you are, where you are, where you've been, what you've done. His his love is overcoming, overwhelming, awe-inspiring is the love of God. And he came seeking you and me. First thing, God's love is a seeking love. Second thing, God's love is a redeeming love. We look there in verse 2. When Hosea finally finds Gomer, it appears she's been sold into slavery. And as she's been sold, she's a far cry from the woman that she was when he fell in love with her and married her all those years before. I want you to imagine that scene with me. Hosea, as God told him to go, he went and he searches the city, he goes place to place, he goes to the, maybe the house he knew she was at at one point, or some friends or acquaintances she had, nobody knows where she is. But he finally arrives there at the slave market. And as he walks his way in, there she is on the platform. They're auctioning his wife off, the one that was his, the one that God gave him, the one that agreed to be with him for life, and as he finds her there, she's for sale to the highest bidder. And as he sees her, he didn't put her there, did he? It was her own decisions that put her there. It was her choices that brought her to that position in life. But as he sees her there on that platform, he doesn't hate her. He he doesn't look her in shame and, and, and turn away or abandon her to live her life and continue to make those bad decisions she made. I have no doubt this morning as he saw her, his heart was broken as he saw her in that condition. But he did what he had to do and he paid a high price for her. We look there in verse 2, he bought her for 15 pieces of silver and, and homer of barley and half and homer of barley. You know, if we were to look back in the Old Testament there in Exodus, we would see the, the standard price of a slave of her caliber would be about 30 shekels of silver. But evidently Hosea doesn't have that much. So he got all the money that he had, he, he offers that, then he offers some, some barley to go and to be part of the cost and cost him everything he had most likely. But it cost him more than money. It cost him pride. You can imagine this prophet of God going to a public place and buying back the woman who promised to be his for life. To purchase a woman who had betrayed him, not just once, not just twice, but many times. 
But that's exactly what he did. He paid the price to redeem her. We're here in church this morning. We sang hymns about it. God in his grace sent his only son into this world to be the sacrifice for our sin. All the silver, all the gold, all the money, all the food in this world could not have helped us. Book of Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says we come short. We can't can't reach it. We're always going to miss it. There's nothing we could have offered, nothing we could have paid, nothing we could have sacrificed, nothing we could have given to get us into a place of righteousness before God. So God sent his only son Jesus. And he shed his blood on the cross for every person ever walked the face of this world to purchase a people to himself. And as he did that, he was mistreated by the Roman soldiers. He was ridiculed by Jewish leaders. He was tortured and then he was hung on a cross with nails in his hands and feet. And he endured all of those things so that he might make a purchase and redeem those who turn from him. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He did all those things for us, undeserving. He paid a high price. As Hosea redeemed his wife back, he also secured a relationship with her. See the wording there in the beginning of that verse, he says, so I bought her to me. Hosea already owned her by virtue, she already belonged to him, he didn't own her, she belonged to him as virtue of their marriage. But now she's completely his because he paid for her. He sacrificed everything to make her exclusively his. The name Gomer means completely. We look at this woman who was completely lost and overtaken by her sins, and now she is completely loved, forgiven, and redeemed. You know, when God saves a sinner, that sinner becomes the possession of God. The book of Titus says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. There was a price on all of our heads. There was a price on the world. There was a penalty, a punishment, and Jesus redeemed us. He paid that debt. But he, as he saved us, as he died for us, he did not only redeem us, but the relationship is far more intimate than that. God then becomes the person's father. The book of 1 John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. So not only did he buy us or redeem us, but he then made us his children. And by the way, that is an eternal transaction. If all of us this morning would just just think, and if the world would truly grasp all that we deserved and all that Jesus redeemed us from, and the price that was paid, how could not anyone want to accept that? 
When we just consider this morning how much he loves us and the price that he paid, the shame that he bore, the links that he went to, how could we not just battle down before him every day in love and in obedience and in gratitude in the life that we live? We've been redeemed. It's a story I've heard all my life about this little boy that really wanted a sailboat. And he got a little kid and he began to put the sailboat together. He fixed it up and he, he painted it. He tarred it. He had it all sealed and painted. He, he got a sail finally and he put it on that little toy sailboat. And it was finally the day to go to the lake. So he went there and told his mom he was headed to the water. He'd be back after a while. And he put that sailboat in the water and sure enough, a breeze began to blow and it worked. You can imagine the joy in that boy's face as he did that, and as the wind blew, the sailboat began to drift farther and farther away from him to a point to where it wasn't coming back. So he began to walk in the water and, and go after it. He began swimming, and, and the more he went towards it, the farther away that boat got from him, and he went home in tears, devastated. His mom said, what's wrong? It, did, it, did it not work? And he said, it, it worked too good. He lived, went on through life, and a few weeks later, he was walking down Main Street of that old town, and in the window of a secondhand store, he saw that boat sitting there. And as any little boy would, he put all that time and effort into it. He said, that's my boat. And he walked into that store, and he took it out of the window and began to walk out the store with it. And the store owner stopped him and said, hold on there. That's mine. I just bought that the other day little boy looked at him and he said, no, it's, it's my boat. I, I made this. I, I, I made it with my own hands. I, I took it out and I lost it in the water. And that man looked at him and said, I'm sorry, if you want it, you have to buy it. That little boy went home and began to find little odd jobs in the neighborhood. He went house to house and finally earned enough money after several weeks to be able to buy that boat back. And he went into that store took it out of the window and gave the money to the owner. And he looked at that boat and he said, you're my boat. He said, you're twice my boat. You're first mine because I made you and you're twice mine because I bought you. If you ever go through life and you feel like you aren't worth much, just remember what Jesus did for you. Because he already made you. And the Bible says he created us, not for us. He created us for him, didn't he? For his pleasure. And as we turned against him and as we sinned against him, there is a price on our head, death and hell. And the God that made us for his glory and the God that we turned from and as we were lost, made a payment for every individual to walk the face of this earth, and he redeemed us again. We're twice his. We were dead in our sins without hope, but God saw our position and paid a price. We are incapable of paying so we can have eternal life. He loves you with a redeeming love. His love's a seeking love. Secondly, his love's a redeeming love. And the last thing, his love is a changing love. When God saves a sinner, he does it because he loves us. 
But he also does it because he has a desire to deliver us from the bondage of sin. And he wants to deliver us from the old life to a new life. And and as this happens, there needs to be a new character. Hosea there in verse 3, he looked at his wife and he said, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. As Hosea purchased her, as he did there in that, in that auction, he, he implies that he expects her to be different. And the woman that he was taking home was not to live like the woman that he just redeemed. And he tells her that his, her life is going to be different from this point forward, and that is exactly what Jesus did, does for every soul he saves. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is not a person who can meet Jesus and stay like they were. He is a changing Savior. But not only do we have a new character, there then becomes a new devotion. You know, Hosea looked at her in that verse and he expected her to live a new life of restraint. Because for many years now at this point, her life had been the object of lust. But now that she was redeemed, he was bringing her home to heal and bringing her home to be different. There was a new devotion expected. And he's again showing her that he loves her. He's giving her time to heal. He's trying to create a safe environment for her where she feels loved and and cherished and honored. And then he wants her to know that the old way of living needs to be forever ended. He says, Gomer, this this redemption, this love is not to be taken lightly. There's a high price that was paid. You know, God saved us. He redeemed us to deliver us from our sin and to give us a new life in Jesus. And he expects us to be his and his alone until he calls us home. Did you know he has every right to make that claim on the Christian life? 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Did you know that? In the next verse, he says the reason. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. None of us should take lightly the love that we have in our God. No longer living for ourselves, but for him. You know, our conduct never produces God's love in us. It's always there, isn't it? But God's love should produce good conduct in us. Our conduct isn't by him love. But his love for us should produce good conduct in us. There's a woman who was in a horrible marriage and wasn't treated well, and she eventually had enough, and she left. She called in his, the husband. He got home after work, and she was missing, and she hadn't returned. And he called the police and filled a missing persons report. And a few weeks later, the police found her and went to the husband and told her where she was. She was a few counties over. By this time, the husband had had a lot of time of reflection and realized all the wrong that he had done, all the hurt he'd brought on her, how 
horrible that he had treated her. So he decided he was going to win her back, and he began to write her letters every day. He sent these letters to his wife, and no return. No phone calls, no letters back to him. Months went by, and finally Christmas Day came, and he had waited long enough. He finally went to where she was, and it was an old rundown hotel that she could afford. And he went to her and mentioned the letters, and then he asked her if she would just come home with him. He wanted to start over. He wanted to be the husband that she deserved, and she agreed to come. And in the car, he looked at her, and he said, I've written you for months. She says, I know. And he looked at her, and he says, why did you come home so easily? Why did all it take for me to to come up here and you agreed to come? And she replied, she says, those were just letters. This time, you came in person. Jesus came, he came to this world, we're studying every Sunday morning the book of Luke, for us so we could seek and save those that were lost. He made the journey, he spent the time, he made the sacrifice, he came to show us his love. And understanding our illustration here we find in Hosea chapter 3, And knowing as we have the complete word of God in our hand. Understanding the love that God displayed in sending his son for us. And all that he did for you, we have two choices. First of all, accept the love. If there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ. If you don't know right now that heaven's your home, he he redeemed you. He paid a price you could never pay. And the Bible says if we put our faith and trust in that. Heaven can be ours. It says, whosoever believeth in me should not perish but have everlasting life. Accept it. And if you've already accepted him, understanding his love, live for the one who redeemed you. What's your choice today? Every head bowed, every eye closed.